0: We're starting a three-week series on doing the impossible through prayer. Do the impossible through prayer. And today, I want to speak to you about prayer that moves mountains, prayers that move mountains. And I have five passages I want us to look at. Four of them are from Christ and one from the Apostle Paul. In a way, some of these verses that we're going to read, have been used by the name-it-claim-it people and whatever. But I want you to know, I'm not reading what Benny Hinn said. I won't be reading Benny. I'm going to be reading what Jesus said. And Jesus says, I go along with Jesus, okay? You're going to abuse prosperity deal and name it and claim it, and uh, I want a new Cadillac, make it happen. Well, uh, give me a new wife. No, you know, name it, no. This is totally different. This is Jesus talking. These are authoritative words. But I often see that uh, conservatives don't often lay claim to these verses. I haven't many times. I don't know why. We just, we just have it. But let's look at them. Let's go with Matthew 17. And we gave you these verses in our outline here. And uh, a father brings a paralytic son. He's really epileptic, and uh, the epilepsy is so bad that he casts himself into the fire at times, and the dad is deeply concerned about him. This is 17, verse 14, the narrative there. And so, uh, he winds up bringing the boy to Jesus. He said, I took my boy to your disciples, and they didn't get anywhere. They didn't do anything. So, I'm bringing him to you. And so, they said, I brought him. And Jesus said, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? It's interesting they did it in Matthew 10 when he sent them out the 70s. The demons were subject, but something's happened here. Now, they're praying, but nothing's happening. Jesus said, oh, let me tell you what's wrong. This is what's wrong. Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. What in the world did he say? What in the world does he mean? Well, here's the promise, number one. The promise is a little amount of the right thing can move mountains. A little of the right thing. And he likened faith. Sean showed me some mustard seed he keeps in his office. I mean, you're talking nearly nothing. Small, small, but there's life. There's germ. And what Christ is saying is this little, little, little can move a mountain, and in some of the narratives, the mount is the Mount of Olives, move it to the sea, which is most likely the Dead Sea, which is between the height and the depth. There's a 4,000 feet difference. But the disciples never moved mountains. Jesus never moved dirt. He didn't come to do the dirt business. He's not moving dirt. Caterpillar does that. So, what do you mean? What do you mean? In Jewish literature, it's a rabbinic line. When you say the rabbis use it all the time, to move a mountain was to move an obstacle bigger than you can handle. It was impossible for you to do. And let's talk about faith. What is faith? Simple here. It's confidence in the ability of God. Confidence that is the ability if he has the willingness. God is able to do whatever he wants to do. He can hang stars. He can flood the earth. He can burn up the earth. He can tell you the bird where it is before you've even seen it. He can see Nathaniel. He's an omnipotent God. He has no power problems, okay? This God is great. He is great. And that's who Christ represents. So, number one, promise, even a little of the right thing. Well, what he's really saying to them You have an ineffectual faith. I think of what he said in James 1. If you ask God being double-minded, back and forth, you will not get what you want. Let not him who, who doubts think he'll get anything from God. God never rewards unbelief. If you don't think he can, he won't for you. It doesn't mean he can't. He probably will do it for that guy next to you who believes he can do it we got so many Christians standing around telling God what he can't do, and others over here keep ringing the bell of heaven and say, do it, Jesus. Do it. And so we're over here living without. You remember the disciples? It's it's a stunning thing. Matthew 16, the disciples said, "Uh, you know what? We've got a problem. We don't have any bread. You don't have any bread? Were you at the feeding of the 5,000. Were you at the feeding of the fourth? Yeah, we were there, but, but, you know, we're very concerned there's not enough bread in the treasury. You're running with a bread maker. You're hanging out with the miracle worker. And here we are. We're over here fretting fretting about God's work. And he said, I, you've got the miracle worker. I, resources are no problem for me. Do you believe I've got them? Do you think I have the power? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you don't think he can, he won't for you. That's scary to me. I see some ministries far better than mine, and I say, why? A lot of times God said, you didn't believe me for it. You didn't ask me for it. You don't think I can do it for you, so I have it. Your ministry might be as small as your faith. What can we believe God for? Do you have any great prayers? Uh, Possibility. Here is the promise. If you've got a little bit of faith, I give you this possibility. You can move a mountain. Be moved. Be solved. Whether it's health, relationships, whatever's in your path, and what is today in your path. Do you have any mountains in your life right now? You got any kids that don't know God? Do you have any reconciliation issues? You're not reconciled to your parents. You're not reconciled to a brother. You got a problem here. You got a problem on what is in your life that you haven't been able to solve or take care of. Is God big enough to do it? He said, if you can believe me for it, I could remove the mountain. We put out in the uh, uh, lobby we got a huge mountain there, and you can't hardly see it. We put strings, and we're having people ride out any mountains they're dealing with now, and we're going to join and pray with you. We're going to be starting that tonight, praying about mountains being moved. Let's say people being saved that seem impossible to be saved. Tell me something impossible for you that doesn't mean it's impossible for God. And so, he goes on and says, here's the principle. Here's the principle. Nothing, nothing will be impossible for you. Listen to what he said. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, small but alive, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing, and nothing will be impossible to you. Amazing. Go to chapter 21, Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, he curses a fig tree. He's cleansed the temple, and now he curses the fig tree. And the temple was the apostate religion of Israel. They had gone into apostasy, and all they were is in the money business. And he, he cleanses the temple and says, God's through this place. It's going to be destroyed in 70 A.D., Judgment's coming. You have forgotten God, and you're in the money business. Now he comes to a tree that Isaiah 5 likened to Israel, and he curses it. He's really cursing the nation for abandoning God. And so there's great significance in what he's doing. But the disciples see this. He curses the tree. They come the next day. And verse 20, he said, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Let me tell you. I don't want to move any fig trees and I don't want to move any mountains. If you just talk about dirt and going around cursing fig trees that don't bear. You see, the fig tree had leaves, but it had no fruit. Israel had the external religion. They had external show of piety, but there was no fruit. It's scary in God's word to be a fruitless believer. There is really no such thing. You bear 30, you bear 60, you bear 100 fold, but you, if you are barren, you are under a curse. Barrenness is never a sign that you're in the family of God. He bears fruit through his own. That crowd that said, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and didn't we do that? And he says, I never knew you. He just said before that, a tree is known by its fruit, and if there's no fruit, there's no life. What fruit is God bearing through you? You can profess all day. The church in America is big on profession and bearing on fruit. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? So then he says, Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, Spurgeon was always saying, if you don't have faith, don't waste your breath to pray. You know, that would be like going to your dad and you're saying on the way, I know he won't, I know he won't, I know he won't let me have it, but I'll ask anyway as a formality. Dad, would you let me have it? I knew you'd say no. That's not believing prayer. Come on, come on, come on. And God didn't ever say beg him. We're sons, not beggars. He said come boldly. And the word boldly in the Greek is freedom of speech with confidence. You're supposed to show up confident that this God will hear you. Next week we'll be looking at praying without ceasing, and I'll show you what, what that really means and how we ought to be doing that. But he says, if you will pray and have faith, you can ask, and you will get what you asked for. Now, let me ask you, do you even believe the verse? I said, do you believe the verse? We gave you coffee. You can amen better than that. That's a cough. Do you believe the verse? This isn't Benny. This is Jesus. I got the red letter, friend. You get amen the red letter stuff. But I'm amazed when I get around certain believers, they can't hardly believe God to get out of the rain. They don't talk about anything that seems out there. You know, that's for the weirdos. That's for the weirdos. He said, You, I'm telling you, men, if you ask in my name, you will not waste your asking if you believe I can do it. Do you believe it? That's the question for all of us. Now, there's a corresponding verse to this. Let's go to Mark 11. Mark 11. I'm really not trying to preach these. I don't need to preach these verses, do I? I just need to read them and believe them, okay? I can't preach this into you. Look at what he says. It's the cursing of the fig tree again, but the narrative is a little bit different because they want to know how he did it all that, and verse 22 of Mark, Mark eleven twenty-two, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Well, what do you mean? You've been running around with God for three years. Why say have faith in him? You can hang out around God's house and not be believing him for much. They obviously can hang out with Jesus and not believe him for much. Have faith in God. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised Peter Jesus, you better get it straight. We're hanging out with you because we believe you. You go all the way through the Gospels. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. It says hanging around the Messiah didn't make them believe. A whole nation hung out and watched him and didn't believe. You can be in the household of faith and not be walking by faith. You can be walking by sight. Look what he says. Have faith in God. I can hear him say, we got it, okay. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Is Jesus stuttering? When he repeats something three times, it's not stuttering. He wants us to get it. Three times he refers, uses this mountain phrase. If you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. My. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. Isn't that amazing? That's where a lot of name it and claim it come from. I don't think Jesus was starting that, but it's kind of it's suspicious. Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Is that powerful? Have you ever asked God something so specifically and so sure that you went back to check up on Him to see if He did it? the The, the story that comes to me is uh, uh, our family. Uh, we didn't go to doctors. My mother went to the doctor more with me, her seventh child, than the whole family put together. I had an accident when I was two, went into paralysis. Man, I needed speech therapy, hearing aids, crutches, crippled children's fund. My poor mother my poor Aunt Millie, they took me to more doctors. I had Pill Hill in Oakland memorized. They took me to so many doctors. Dr. Hurley across from the Richmond City Hall, always taking me to the doctor, this doctor looking at me, and this one. But as a whole, my family didn't go to doctors because my dad didn't have the money. I I remember just thinking about my brother David, a terrific injury to him, how my dad treated him. I mean, the older kids are thankful to God they survived the medicines he put on them. Because he grew up with those Indians in Oklahoma, and they had some concoctions that nearly kill you in the application. And Paul and David, they, they knew all about that. And, uh, but thank God, by the time I came along, modern medicine had been born. And so, I get treated better. And, uh, but I remember a story. My sister told it to me, and my mother told me. This is radical. My sister Hazel had boils and was in misery. Fever, pain, my mother, a simple, just country girl, Uh, she prayed for my sister that night, God heal her. The next morning, bright and early, she's in there, Hazel, I want you to take your pajama blouse off right now. Why, mama, why? I want want to lift your arms. I want to see. And uh, my other brothers are here. You talk to them. There's nothing but scars. They're all gone. The boils were gone. That can't be. She hadn't had any penicillin. She hadn't had any sulfur. My mama had a big God, and she believed, and God healed her. And I wish Hazel was here. She'd love to walk right through you if you doubt the story. (laughs) She'll straighten you out. Hazel, am I telling it right? See, she believed she had it so much. The next morning, I want to see I didn't just pray and we're going to go on. Come here, show me those arms. Have you ever prayed for anything that strong? He he said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, in full doubt, no, no, believe that you received it. That's strong confidence, isn't it? And it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Mark adds that. Matthew 21 didn't include that part, which is an interesting thing. Many people have lost their prayer life because they're mad at somebody, or they won't forgive. They won't forgive the hurt. They, they won't forget whatever the issue. They're in an unreconciled state. They've made no effort to end the uh, hostility or to do whatever they can. You can't make people forgive you. you. You cannot. But you can seek to get forgiveness, seek to be forgiving yourself. Jesus said in the um, pattern prayer in Matthew 6, when you pray, be forgiving Say, Father, forgive us our debts, our obligations, while we're forgiving. It's a present tense. We're forgiving in the very act of praying so you can't have a prayer life and be bitter and mad at others. Peter said, if you don't treat your wife right, in the Greek, God will cut off your prayers. 1 Peter 3, 7. said, if you don't treat her with honor and respect, and as the weaker vessel, and that doesn't mean IQ, probably brute strength, that she is composed with a weaker body and may be more susceptible to things physically that could hurt her. So, if you don't protect her, if you don't honor her, and if you don't treat her right, said God says, I'll just whack off your prayer life. I will not hear a man pray that is abusing his wife. Isn't that amazing? You take 1 Timothy 2. He said, I sure wish men of God would pray in the assembly, but in order to do so, they have to lift up holy hands. And the holy hands hands stood for the activity of the life. And he says, I want men that are holy that aren't contaminated with pornography, aren't contaminated with lust. They're on the right side of sin. They're walking with God. You know why a lot of men don't pray in assembly? They're in sin. Not because they're timid. They can't be bold because they're not on the right side of sin. For if the Lord, Psalm 68 said that If I should regard iniquity in my heart, I'm giving place to it. The Lord will not hear me when I pray. He said in James 5 the prayer of a righteous man can't accomplish much. We had someone come in for healing, ask the elders to pray for them, and there's about four or five of them. And uh, whoever the person was, I forget. I said, I hope there's at least one righteous man in the room. These other rascals, I don't know. There are other elders. I said, maybe if there's just one out of five of us, you got a good chance of getting an answer. Pray for the rest of us. If you can get a righteous man to pray for you, something can happen. You folks didn't get much coffee, huh? You're You're just thinking. Because look, when you think, Elijah prayed and turned off the water of the heavens. You mean a man can control the heavens? Elijah did. And after three years of drought, he just had a prayer meeting on Mount Carmel, said, Lord, uh, we need rain. Would you end this drought? And he ran so fast, he outran the man on the chariot because he said, a flood's coming. And he was a man of like passions as we are. Let me tell you, our greatest resource is our access to God in prayer. We've got everything we've been asking for. I was just praying Thursday morning, and I was recounting the year 2016. People died. People moved. People who don't come here. And we've had a a nutrition and had a, a tied in, tied out. I was just hearing a lecture that said, if you lead anything long, you'll have the tides in, tides out, plateaus. It's just long-term ministry. You live through it all. And so, I was kind of, you know, wow, wow, ooh, going on about that. And then the Lord all of a sudden spoke to Mars. said, did you lose me? Wait, wait, wait. He said, did you lose me? I want to know who was here when you rented the hall. I want to know who was here when you landed with a pregnant wife and a two-year-old daughter, and you only knew your sister and Virginia would help you. That's not very many folks to start a church with. And you left a denomination. There was no money. And in three months, my brother moved me in because I couldn't pay rent where I was. He said, move in with me. As Tim was telling me, there's a book on the will of God that says do, Friesen says, do the moral, right or wrong, but wisdom is you do the best decision possible. Make the best decision possible. And he said, that's crazy in your regard, because only a guy out of his head would start a church like <laughs> you did. I said, thank you, Tim. <laughs> it is crazy. Abraham, leave her. Where do you want me to go? None of your business. Leave. You go where I send you. Right. You go. I think of a Malcolm. Stupid, crazy decision <laughs> to leave a building trade with his brother in Florida and take a mission job for $100 a month. Was that wise? No, it was faith. And whatever the mission is today is wonderful and God's blessed it, but I tell you, there was a day there were no salaries, there were no benefits, there was just a man crazy enough to say God loves people on 2nd in McDonald's. Some of you are so close to the vest. I know pastors. They're so close to the vest, they will never take a risk on God. They won't give God a chance to fail. And all their decisions are so guarded, so close to the vest. We've got to have all the money, all the detail. Why aren't you moving? Because you're frozen in unbelief. Do you have God? Is God in charge of what you want to do? Is God in it? If God's in it, listen to me, Joshua, fear not. I am with you. I want you to take the promised land. Moses has died, but I haven't. I want you to take that land. I want you to cross Jordan and get in there. Why aren't we taking our generation? It takes faith, not money, not buildings. It takes God. You got to know him. You got to believe he's got the resources. And all this pygmy faith in our hearts that God keeps saying, I want to do something with you if I can get you to believe me and ask me. So, as prayer meetings die, we seem to think God died. No, our asking died, our believing died, not our God. He's alive and well, He doesn't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm no respecter of persons. If I did it for one, I can do it for another. Why don't you ask me? Why don't you come? Turn, and don't let unforgiveness ruin your prayer life. I often tell the story that I had got in a, a myth with Carolyn and I, my office used to be at the Quentin House, down in Pinole, and I went down there and got on my knees. Oh, Lord, I love you. (laughs) Pretty soon, it was like the Lord said, I don't want to hear you. Call your wife and apologize. Lord, this is your servant. I'm a man of God. I'm not into apologizing when she's so wrong. And just like I said, I ain't going to hear you. Pray all you want. I'm on my knees, i never forget it. I'm on my knees. Carolyn, yes. I called to apologize because God just told me he doesn't want to hear me. She said, well, I gratefully accept your apology, you jerk. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I was told, no, she was sweeter, I wasn't. You can be as mean as you want to people, but you can't make God hear your prayers. Tell them off, tell them off. I won't ever forgive you. Don't ever do me that. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You're supposed to love your enemies when you're walking with Jesus. You're supposed to be a forgiving people. Why is it we've been forgiven so much and And find it a strain to forgive so little. Lord, you're pushing me a little too much. You're asking me to forgive. I don't want anyone around me that I have to forgive. I want them all to have it together. No, they're like you. They're flawed. We're all flawed. Well, this is too convicting. Let's go to John. John 14. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. That is phenomenal in itself, is it not? Have any of you raised the dead lately? So you, uh, you do the works of that. Well, the only one that got raised from the dead by the apostle was those that went to sleep during the service, or maybe I could resurrect some of you. Eutychus, you remember? They picked him up, probably broke his neck, and Paul goes down and prays for him, and he comes alive. But most of the disciples didn't do any resurrecting. I mean, did anybody ever feed 5,000? No. Well, what do you mean? Greater. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, what does the verse mean? I don't care if you believe it or not. What does it mean? Read it. Do methodical Bible, observe, interpret, apply. Uh, First of all, I don't believe that's possible. Jesus slipped. He did not slip. In greater works than these, and all that for the apostles. Wait, 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 wait. Don't strip God of his promises. He was not stuttering. And as that great theologian Bobby Dillard said, God don't make promises he cannot keep. Slow train coming album. You need to buy it. He said, if you ask in the name, if you ask in the name, That's the first thing. Now, remember, you can use the name and not be asking in the name because there were some guys that said to him in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, he said, I don't even know you. So, you use the name and not even know him. But in the name means in the character, within the nature, in the will of Christ. If you ask things in keeping with my nature, my will, my endorsement, that's number one. And the greater works, what do you say about this? What do you do with a flop and a failure and a washout like Peter who preaches one sermon and more gets saved in one day than the entire ministry of Christ? Greater works. 3,000 in a day. Jesus only got 120 to the upper room. So that we might gather from that only 120 believers, and Peter's preaching. Come on, we wouldn't let Peter be our pastor. He failed. He denied the Lord three. Who you want? Let, let's run this. Let's read the resume. Well, he just got through 40 days ago denying Christ thrice. Let's vote him in. No, no, you wouldn't have him as a pastor. You wouldn't have Paul either. Prison background. In jail, causes a riot everywhere he goes. You want him for a pastor? you got to be kidding. (laughs) Good night. We want a peacemaker, not a riot maker. No, we're so picky, we don't know what we need. And he said, they will do greater works and if you don't know what they are, read the book of Acts. I mean, this is how. Jesus never got out of Palestine. His whole ministry was within 50 miles, and by the time the book of Acts ends, they're already to the city of Rome. These old bumbling fishermen aren't doing too bad. The Holy Spirit energized them. He did get them out of Jerusalem. They're doing greater work, and he's doing greater work. They say there's a Pentecost nearly every day in the world. Over 100,000 people a day worldwide are said to come to Christ. We think just because in liberal, uh, God-forsaken Contra Costa County, as some have called it, where God doesn't seem to be welcome and men don't want God, as it were, you wanted him, God saved you. He could save someone anywhere he wants. But there's a Pentecost all over the globe today. God is saving. And God's causing revival. God's causing people. And Jesus said, I'm going to turn over my ministry on the earth to my people. And guess what? I'm going to go up here and be working for you. While you do the work down here, we'll form a partnership. I'll be asking the Father for you. You be doing the work down here, and we'll get it done. I go to my Father. The work's not stopping. And when you read Acts 1, the things Jesus began to do can through his church. We're supposed to be operating in the name, the name above every name. What a promise. Then he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in keeping with my name, my nature, my will, I will do it. What a promise. What a promise. You know, I, when I was reminded of this is, uh, well, some time back, I was must have been in South Carolina or uh, on a vacation somewhere. I was in another state, and uh, they quit taking my credit card. Quit taking it. And uh, uh, I called the number on the back of the card. Hey, what's going on? Uh, uh, I got the money. What? What's, uh, they said, "Oh, oh, we weren't sure, Mr. Howard. This card's being used in another state than where you live. We thought maybe fraud was going on, and some of the charges didn't look good. Buying that brand new convertible, we didn't think you're too tight to buy one. So we, we, we knew it couldn't be you. And they started going down the charges. I said, "Oh, no, no, that's not mine." They said, well, they used your card. And we put a hold on all the charges. I said, good, they're not in my name. And Jesus said, I want to give you a credit card using my name. And it takes two signatures, mine and yours. Anything you ask me in my name, I will endorse and present it to the Father. You know, it's beautiful in the prodigal stories, prodigal son's story, three things the father gave the boy when he got home, a new garment, new shoes, and the family ring. In the the garment, in the ancient Near East, your status was known by your wardrobe. If you were a slave, they could tell it by what you were wearing. If you were a wealthy man, and the first thing the dad says, get the best robe. Show him he's a family member. The city elders can't be hitting on him. He has status. He's my son. Two, put shoes on him. Slaves go barefooted. Sons get their shoes put on their feet. I want my son not to be treated like a slave. And then he says, give him the family ring back. That would be about like giving him the dad's American Express card. He can now transact family business again. He's just got to put that ring in the wax and it'll happen in the name of his father. Jesus has given you his name as the family ring. When you come to heaven, I come in the name of Jesus. I'm coming on behalf of your church. I'm coming on behalf of your will, your name. You can transact business on earth in the name of Jesus. Do whatever he wants you to do, do it in his name. I come in the name of Jesus. Don't you hear David telling Goliath, you come in the name of being a nine-foot-six giant, in the name of the Philistines that hate Israel. You come in the name of your muscle and your armor. I come to you in the name of my God. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob not let this uncircumcised Philistine run over the people of God. Let me tell you, God is greater in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I wish we would get some faith to believe God. Fill this place again. Give us revival. Don't tell me how God died. God hadn't died. You died. You. You've got all the God you need. Are you knocking? He's saying, little Richard used to sing, who's that knocking at my door? Well, honey, listen to little Richard. He asks, seek, knock. Are you knocking? Can God hear you? I just told the story to some of our men in our prayer meeting last week. I, I heard it before I, I moved up here in Fresno. I went to a preacher's convention in Fresno. And a man was up preaching, and he, was, uh, he all of a sudden went in the story. He said, a revival swept through some town in the Midwest. And he said, uh, before you know it, families were being saved. This was happening. And he said, This one family, the dad, came to faith in Christ, and nobody else in the family were saved. And the dad would go to church all the time, but then all of a sudden, he came up missing every morning. And uh, the the wife was concerned, where is he going to get up at 5 before the sun ever came up? And she got a hold of her eldest son, and she said, Now, I want you to go to bed early tonight, and I want you to track your father in the morning and tell me where he is. I have no idea. And so, sure enough, that boy, the next morning, he could hear the dad in the kitchen, and all of a sudden he left, and this son began to track this dad. And uh, that evening, the mom got the boy aside and says, Where would he go? Where'd he go? She said, "Mama, he goes out on the edge of town, and there's a cut-off tree out there, and he kneels in front of the stump, and he prays." She said, "Well, you keep tracking him." That boy began to track him for weeks. Pretty soon, the wife got saved. Pretty soon, the five children got saved. And one night at the table, the wife said, sweetheart, I want to tell you something. We've had your boy tracking you for weeks, and he's told us where you've been going. But we're concerned about one thing. He said every day he heard you say this phrase, but you promised me, but you promised me. She said, we're curious. What did you mean by that? He said, oh, Acts 16, 31 said, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. And he said, the verse went on and said, and all your household. And I've been reminding God every day, but you promised me, but you promised me. And then the preacher said, I know it's true because I was the elder son. I was the one that tracked him. And God saved my mama, saved all of us kid, just because I had a daddy that'd meet with God every morning and said, but you promised. But you promised. I close with Ephesians. I must stop. Ephesians 3.20, you claim it. He said, now unto him that's able to do above anything you ask or think according to the power that's work- at work in you, I I take that to be if the Holy Spirit is filling you, God will give you more than you've ever dreamed He can give. And He can give you more than you could ever ask Him for. You can't think of anything too big for Him or too staggering. He told uh, Jeremiah, Is anything too hard for the Lord? He told Abraham, When Abraham was staggering, at the thought of being the father of a nation at 99 years of age, he told him in Genesis 18, oh, Abram, is there anything too hard for the God you followed out of Babylon? Is there anything too hard in your life for God to move the mountain? There's no mountain in your life now that he's not willing to move. He's waiting for you to ask. He's waiting for you to believe. And we're going to see mountains move. I would in 40 days. God would turn valley upside down. And you start telling us about people being saved in your family, people being changed, neighbors. I think we had Susie's son coming, coming for a while. We thought he's going to be saved. Just stop coming all again. God can make him come again. God can save. God can save. What Valley needs is the people who claim it to start going to the throne of grace and saying with Jacob, I won't let you go till you bless me. I won't let you go. Father, I pray that people will identify the mountains in their life right now. They can maybe write down things that seem impossible, I think of the old song we used to sing. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do what no other power can do. Oh, mountain-moving God, mountain-moving God, mountain-moving God. Please give us the faith to trust you and believe you and ask you, don't let us shrink to the size of a dwarf prayer life. Expand our hearts, expand our faith that we may seize hold of you and see the mountains moved. Oh, Father, we need revival. We need families saved. We need reconciliation. We need healing. We need ministries. We need finances. We need to help the poor. We need to do more reach out. We've got a thousand various mountains in this church, and only you, Jesus, can move them. Raise up who you want to minister through. Please move the mountains. Move them in our lives, our health, our finances, our joy, Oh, move the mountains, move the mountains. We ask you to do it, and you said you would do it. You made unqualified promises. If you'll ask, if you'll believe, I can move the mountain. Let us, give us mountain-moving faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll meet you tonight if we have to get you in by boat. We'll be at the Family Life. It's going to be a great time. Come and meet with us.